Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Andrew Chow, CEO and co-founder of Neo Financial. Neo Financial is a Canadian challenger bank that is, of course, trying to put a dent in the big five Canadian banks market share and provide consumers with more choice. And with that, here's my interview with Andrew. Andrew, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Jason. So uh, your eyes went a little wide when I described uh, Neo Financial that way. Maybe I'm maybe I'm off. But why don't you, in your own way, in your own words, tell us what Neo is about? Yeah. So I think you did a great job actually describing Neo. But uh, you know, in a <laughs> nutshell, Neo Financial is a, a fintech company that is you know, reimagining the everyday banking experience for Canadians, and we're really doing that from the ground up and really providing a seamless consumer experience across the board. When you look at the apps that we use on our phone every day today, the top five apps, none of those apps are actually your banking app. They're typically your <laughs> Facebook, your Instagram, your Uber, or your Skip the Dishes. And what we're really looking to do is how do we create a seamless experience where you actually want your banking app to be one of those top five? Excellent. That is a challenge. Okay. I have a hard time imagining you're gonna be you're gonna be more engaging than TikTok videos that I come across sometimes. Yes, I'm under the I'm over the age of 40 and I do have TikTok. So let's dive in. So tell me about your history. Yeah. So I mean, for my background started, you know, when I my foray into entrepreneurship started when I was, you know, quite young. I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I was born and raised in the prairies. And as I grew up, uh, my parents owned a restaurant. So I, you know, learned the hard way of entrepreneurship by being in the back peeling potatoes and peeling carrots. I got really, really good at it, but I learned you know, how you can start something from scratch and build something of your own. And throughout my life, you know, ended up going to university, got a finance degree, afterwards decided that I wanted to get a more broader experience. So I moved to Toronto, uh, to the big city in this case, worked a couple of years in consulting and kept in touch with some of my former classmates who had also moved away to the bigger cities. And when we were living in these larger metros, whether it was New York or London or, or Toronto, we had seen all these large tech companies coming to these cities, but really skipping over the smaller markets of Canada or the smaller markets of North America, especially Saskatchewan or Calgary or Edmonton and like. So we said, well, hey, why don't we take one of these ideas, which back in the day, back in 2011, 2012, happened to be food delivery. So we said, let's take food delivery, let's bring it back home um, and start a Western Canadian focused food delivery company. Very small and narrow in scope. Um, it's an interesting that- niche, but go on, continue. <laughs> but let's, let's, well, the, the story gets better, people, because wait until you see what happened. Anyway. Yeah, so, so we started that, moved back, quit our jobs, moved back to, to start Skip the Dishes, which is the company we started back in 2012. As And our business cards had said, Western Canada's largest food delivery network. So we were very focused at the time. But really, you know, at the was that we, by default for lack of competition or initially or what happened there? <laughs> it was a combination of both. It was, <laughs> but yeah, from there we scaled. We went from one city to two to three to 20 to 130 uh, over, you know, eight years. We grew the team from the five co-founders to just over 3,000 employees. And I think last year, Skip had done just over 3 billion in sales. In, in fairness, the numbers might go down after COVID, just saying, but yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I, I do consider in, in your household, Skip is considered vital infrastructure. So, so it's an essential service. Very, very important. <laughs> it's an essential service in my world. Yeah. So yeah. from there, we learned a lot about building a consumer brand here in Canada and a consumer tech company that's focused on Canada. And uh, we, we sort of saw a, a logical extension to, to start something from scratch again. Saw a massive opportunity in the banking space. And when we think about banking here in Canada, having grown up here, you typically, you ask anyone on the street, how do they end up with the bank that they have today? And the number one answer you'll get is... Proximity. It's my parents bank with. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the other one. One or the yeah. other. It's down the street. Yeah. Or it's down the street. So for us, we said, well, how do we create a much better tech experience around 
banking, introduce a bit of innovation and leverage our experience from building Skip the Dishes as well, which sort of came to you know, the genesis of what Neo Financial is today. So what Neo is today is it's a, it's a credit card to start with a bank account as well. But really what sits on top of all of the bank account and the credit card is a network of local businesses, large national brands as well, where we actually power the rewards and loyalty programs, and it all sits on top of the credit card. So with one single credit card, you get access to several thousand merchants and multiple different cashback programs that are hosted on our credit card. Excellent. So um, I will also commend you on the branding. You've now made it impossible for anyone to use the term neobank in Canada without referring to you. Like I'm waiting for the next challenger bank to call themselves challenger, then I'm completely out of terminology, but well done. So, I mean, clearly, I mean, you guys have experience in scaling, like legitimately scaling and scaling transactional infrastructure, right? So that is not something that a lot of founders in this space come in with. You want to talk about how that was a unique advantage in scaling or starting out with Neo? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're dealing with food delivery and people always ask why the change from food delivery and banking, isn't that drastically different? And in reality, if you think of it as different things, the way it is today, yeah, it is different. But when you think at the end of the day, it's still a consumer focused business. So really what we're trying to do is add value to Canadians' lives. We're trying to make it easier, trying to make it cheaper, trying to make it more convenient. And if you take those principles and apply it to banking, that's really what we're building at Neo. How do you make signing up for a bank account as easy as opening up an account at Netflix. And it's really those questions that very simple things of being a tech company, whether it's great customer support, whether it's opening an account digitally, whether it's sending money to friends, like all these, all these simple things can be solved with tech, yet a lot of time with, and again, we'll get into the industry stuff because I know you're really keen on, on the, the state of the uh, Canadian banking scene. Look, it's, it, it is past yeah. it is past one o'clock. I can have a couple drinks because <laughs> I, I will feel the need to do that every time we start talking about the banking structure. Yeah, yeah. But but when we when we think about what we learned from Skip, I think a lot of it really comes down to bringing those seamless consumer experiences and that convenience over to banking. And you know, when you're dealing with multiple millions of deliveries um, happening at any given time, where every single second counts, it's that rigor and execution that really does apply to banking. Because with banking, it's even a higher threshold because every cent counts. Absolutely. So yeah, so you're coming at the second tick of the can of something big. You had experience with all this and you're talking about like the simplicity of onboarding. Now that has been traditionally an incredibly painful thing. Tell me about your customer experience, right? Like when I decide I'm gonna download your your app, tell me about the onboarding. Tell me about what you've done within the app to engage me, to make me wanna open it up and maybe not bury it in the back of in the back of my apps. And, and especially now with app with, with the like app storage and Apple, where you can just shove it into some folder you never see, it's a bigger challenge. So tell me how you engage people. Yeah, so I mean, starting with really, it all starts with the onboarding and how you, how you get into the app and how you sign up for Neo. And what we've been able to do is essentially layer in a literally a three minute onboarding process where you don't need to go into a branch to verify ID or anything like that. So it starts out with downloading the app or doing it online, typing in some basic information, again, as if you were applying for a net or opening a Netflix account to verify your, your identity, because we need to as a bank or as a, mm-hmm. to do KYC, take a picture, take a selfie, take a picture of your ID, and that's it. And then you're that is, that is that is as frictionless as you can get. Thank goodness. Now, if you can yeah. just make that happen for business banking, I would be forever grateful. But I, I know it's different. There's no centralized registry to confirm identity on that. It's just oh, it's archaic that, pain. 
All right. So you talked about sitting on top of, of vendors and local vendors. Like, talk, tell me what you mean by that. Like, what are you doing with them to make you different than some of the other challenges we're seeing out there? Yeah. So what we've seen, you know, in in our past lives, we worked with over thirty thousand small businesses, national brands as large as McDonald's, KFC, and Tim's. And what we found that was sort of common across all of them was that didn't really have any insights around their customers, but they, as brick and mortar businesses, they didn't really have the ability to reach back out to their customers and or offer them a consistent experience when it comes to digital loyalty. On the other end of the spectrum, you have, they're generally competing with a Starbucks or a Mm -hmm. PC Financial where they have very large multi-million dollar loyalty platforms where they built it out. They have their own bank licenses and so on and so forth. So when you're thinking about competing with them, you're competing with a paper punch card not really digital versus Starbucks has all these sophisticated algorithms. So really what we're doing Mm -hmm. is taking the system of a Starbucks loyalty system, for example, and giving that to any business. And rather than charging them for it, we actually give it to them for free. And they're able to host all these cashback offers on our platform at no extra cost to them. So what we get in return or what the customers get in return is essentially this open network where with one card or the Neo card, you can get access to all these different merchants and partners and get cash back at, on them. And one of the, I think there's a stat, typically with credit cards, you get points and points, you know, they are either expire or they either, you know, you never really use them. You can only redeem them at the end of the year, yeah. which I, I can see your face here, Jason. Oh, <laughs> I'm good. No, <laughs> I, I always think there's, there's universally, it's like, it's like it's on the calendar, but my new, my local news universally, at least once every six months, there's an article, there's like a piece on, and your aeroplane miles will expire if you don't touch them for X number of years. So somebody, somebody didn't touch them for three years and suddenly, or five years or whatever it is. So yeah, it's, it's, um, they're your points until they're not your points. So you have to be careful about that. Exactly. Exactly. So really what we're, what we're doing with these partners is working with them to add value back to their customers and as well as bring new customers to them as well. And that's really what we're doing with our partner marketplace. So, I mean, what you've done is you've allowed people to compete in a different way. And I mean, points are nice. Cash is better. I mean, there's always a preference. Some people you know, like, like, like the, the banking of artificial, <laughs> artificial money, but it works. So, and you're right, that's been a massive hurdle. I mean, sort of like creating punch cards or stamp cards, which are easily, easily, easily fraudulently uh, modified. No one wants to carry around a wallet full of cards for every individual place that they go eat or drink. So well done. So um, tell me about the level of engagement and how you've managed to reach out to these companies and what the response has been in general. Yeah, I mean, the response rate for a product like this and for a network like this has been tremendous. We have just over 3,000 businesses signed up on our platform all across Canada, ranging from, again, your local cafe to your Italian restaurant down the street to some of our larger brands that are on the platform as well like an, an Ashley Furniture, for example. So we have a, a range of different businesses that have been wanting and needing something like this. So it's been great, great outreach. So a lot of time, you know, with in terms of outreach, a lot of this has actually been inbound. People have been sort of seeing Neo in and around their neighborhood, seeing some of our news articles and, and reaching out to us to, to sign up. And that's for sure one thing about business owners is that they're typically surrounded by business owner friends in a lot of ways. So I can see that there being a, a degree of, of virality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, it's really a, a risk-free product from that sense, because it's really at the end of the day, every dollar you invest in the program goes back to your customers. 
Yeah, absolutely. You do have one larger program. It looks like it's white labeled with those who aren't aware outside of Canada, North America's oldest company, the Hudson's Bay Corporation. Tell me about that deal. What was different about that? Was it the scale of the business? Was it the fact that they were looking for a solution like this to outsource? So how did that come about? Yeah. So with Hudson's Bay, we are powering their credit card. It's a co-branded credit card. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of this partnership with them is is it really truly is a, a first in North America partnership where Hudson's Bay obviously is a you know 350 year old brand. They have a very very strong loyal following base, and and people really do love Hudson's Bay points or rewards. And this is really the first time that they can earn both points and also cash back at those 3,000 partners that we had I had mentioned. So it not only it combines sort of the best of both worlds in that way. And with Hudson's Bay and, and their customer base and their credit card holder base, uh, they also get access to all the digital experience that we talked about earlier. So that seamless onboarding, the app experience, the ability to view their points in real time versus yep. at the end of each month or at the end of each year in terms of, you know, on a paper statement. So it really enables sort of their, provides them with that digital experience to all of their customers. But it's uh you know, and again, with a lot less work that they had to do themselves because they're just piggybacking off your infrastructure. So, and the co-branding doesn't hurt you, right? I mean, it gets you exposure to to all of their retail footprint. Although I will go back one second when I made the comment about it being the oldest company in North America, European and Asian listeners are like scratching their heads saying, wait, 350 years? You think that's old? <laughs> anyway, so yes, we're, we're still a new continent. So um, that said, okay, talk to me about where you go from here, right? So, I mean, is this just a continued network play? You just keep continuing to try to basically to, to partner with retail and that's your that's kind of your your focus or your niche play on how you get a one up on the competition? You know, I think for us, it's it's really, a, it's twofold. When you think about why we're building Neo, I mean, for us, we are building, we're looking to build the largest financial institution in Canada. That really is well, our, our main goal. And to get there, it goes beyond just the everyday banking products that we have today, the everyday credit card rewards. But yes, our short-term focus is building out our merchant network or helping out retailers and, and adding as much value as we can to that side. On the flip side of it, as a consumer, as a Canadian here in Canada, and for context for everyone, you know, you've got in Canada, the top five banks own 93% market share, very, very concentrated here. And in order to really truly compete with the, these big five, we call it, you need more than just one product. So for us, it's really around, oh, how do we naturally extend our experience to basically follow a customer throughout their life? So yes, we start with the everyday bank account, but hey, we have your information around how much, what your income is, how much savings you have. Hey, if you could open up a mortgage in five minutes or less without signing 300 pages of extra paperwork and going into the lawyer's office, you're never going to read right anyway, here. which I always love that. It's like, oh, here's the contract because this is for your protection. Yeah, it's for my protection because anyone ever reads the 300 pages. Let's, you could be basically saying that you own my dog for all I know. Exactly. So so for us, it's it's really around what are those natural extensions that, that make the most sense so we can add the most value to Canadians' lives. So our plan is to go broader and sort of own that entire picture, help Canadians throughout their financial journeys and through technology, because we are building all of this from scratch, how do we just rebuild that experience? And that's really what we're doing at the end of the day. Excellent. So that's a bold ambition there, being the largest financial institution in this country. I will say, um, good. I sincerely hope a lot of the financial institutions uh, that are challengers in this that I interviewed on this podcast end up challenging for that throne because I frankly believe that just the customer-centric nature of your viewpoint and the lack of entrenched 
profit models that were antiquated is only going to result in better outcomes for consumers in general. So I, I hope that becomes the case. However, let me become the cynical person yet again and go back to our entire conversation on open banking, which we've had before, and the five-part series I had recently, which by the end of it, I just felt like wanted to drink for weeks on end. So you went from a industry that was largely blue ocean. Like, you know, there wasn't a lot of competition. It was a couple of companies coming up around the time that you got into the delivery business, right? There were some of them starting to gain scale. There was competitors, but in especially in the region you were targeting, you targeted an area that was largely uncompetitive. So you did not deal with the monolithic craziness that is the government oversight of financial services. Tell me about how much of a challenge that's been for you guys in comparison to what the previous life was like. So how rude of an awakening was it to say, hey, let's start a bank in Canada? Oh, dang, that's a lot. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah, no. So I, I think it's a fair comparison for sure. I mean, I think when we think about banking today, the reason everyone says banking is competitive. And the reason why it's competitive with each other, (laughs) with each other, right? Yeah. (laughs) A level that's inflated. It's not competitive. It's like, it's also, it's all six flavors of overly expensive vanilla anyway. So continue. But that's exactly what I mean. So when you think about the competition today that exists, they all look exactly the same. And I used to work in consulting. So I used to consult for the banks as well. And we would look at, we would do product comparisons and basically try to find gaps in between the products. And and this is where you start to see you have one bank account be split into 15 different bank accounts because they can be priced slightly differently and try to earn an extra dollar here or there. Yeah. How do we do something not in the interest of our consumers who pick (laughs) their pocket to a larger degree? So when you think about the competition today and the the other banks that, that exist, they all have the same product, same offering, same pricing, same technology. So yes, to your point, it is if you compete on the same level and you all come with knives to a knife fight, then then yeah, it's exactly the same. You're not really going to be able to compete. And at, at that point in time, it's just who has more dollars to spend. But really what we're sort of introducing here and, and is, well, let's just play on a different, completely different playing field. And how do we just reinvent the entire experience from, from scratch? So that's why we built our entire banking infrastructure from scratch. We are not using third-party software to build that. And what that enables us to do is have a much more integrated experience so we can do that five-minute mortgage. We can have a three-minute sign-up process for banking. We can actually start introducing, I'll use the buzzwords, machine learning or AI or guided financial literacy to help people budget or make little nudges or make it easy to split a bill. Whatever these pieces, these features and functionalities end up being, it's really around the potential of what we can become. And that's really you know, the opportunity that we see when going up against the big five. It's really just how do we just create our own category and not even compete in the same category? Yeah, I mean, I, and, and to your credit, I think that's the way to tackle it because I, I look at some of the more successful fintechs in this country. And when they basically, you know, I'll, I'll quote my catching over at, uh, over at Well Simple, when people ask him, who's your competition? He's like, what competition, right? At the end of the day, what they're doing is not, competing with the banks directly head on. They're targeting a niche and speaking the language to that niche in a very, very effective way and evolving their service around the niche's needs. And that's not the level of thinking a bank ever has, right? It's it's just it's just not. It's what like what what almost exactly identical product can we sell them that costs them more or lures them in with with an incentive that then costs them more. I mean you used to consult for these people so you know the the inner workings of the empire. But the reality is is that it's like anything else. If you get to take on a better funded, larger rival, you're not going to win by attacking them head on. 
the rebels bombed a tiny hole in the Death Star to blow it up, right? Like that's that's how you get it done. Is you got to come at them from an angle that they 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 a don't see and b can't really compete in because it's against their nature. So it's a smart play, and I think it's, it's interesting because I, I I look at the the genius of, of your partnership model. And I think of it even, even more because, you know, these are people you're going out and dealing with a bunch of businesses who probably aren't happy with their banks either. And you're, instead of coming to them saying, well, this is what we're going to cost charge you for processing fees. And if you keep $30,000 in your bank account, we'll charge you no bank fees. You're saying, Hey, like, if you want to get on here, you can actually compete with the big boys. And yeah, we're a financial institution, but we're actually legitimately giving you a leg. We're giving you a a way to compete with with incentive programs that you never had an opportunity to do before. So very smart move. Business owners are not used to financial institutions that are helpful. <laughs> and that you know, a lot of the time, these the small businesses have just been shafted. They literally oh, get the God. short end of the stick when it comes Don't to uh, working with their banks. When when it comes to just and even when you think about the merchant fees that they do pay. You know what do they get in return? They actually don't get anything in return. Nothing. Um, from, you may as well go. You may as well go with Stripe. Yeah. Or Square. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a better experience. There's better users. It's more user friendly. And, and you're right. I mean, I've lamented about this previously on other podcasts. If you're a business owner who likes your bank, go get a loan. See how that works out, right? Because the reality is, is that if you're not at a threshold where you qualify for commercial banking, uh, at least in Canada, what happens is that you're in small business banking. Small business banking is a checklist. If you don't hit every box on that checklist, the answer is always no, always no. It doesn't. I have literally in my own business, gone to uh, ask to speak to commercial banking, shown the commercial banking reps exactly what I was, you know, what the, what the financials look like. So this is the ask, whatever. And they're like, we would approve this deal in a heartbeat. I said, you said would. And they're like, but your this number and this number are below our thresholds. We can't do it. So they had to send me down the bed. I'm like, you do know I'm going to get screwed at business, small business banking. And they're like, we're sorry. Like that, think about that. Like think about that, that experience, right? An institution, you know, it's like, well, we have two divisions. We have the division that basically will actually pay attention and care about your business and understand in order to basically give you what you need. And we have one that doesn't give a damn if you don't hit three boxes. And that's the end of it. So you're right. Small business does not get squat from their institutions. In fact, like the experience of onboarding or trying, like this is why, again, like I, I lamented earlier, there's no, there's no challenger banks in the business space because frankly, there's no, the data for onboarding just doesn't exist in one, in one easily accessible place, right? And I'm, I'm speaking, preaching to the choir here. I'm sure you guys looked at, hey, we should set these up for businesses. Oh yeah, no, that's way too much paperwork. We can't possibly digitize that. So uh, now I need to drink. Okay. So to that said, let me ask you this question. Hypothetical. Let's let's wind the clock back because yesterday was the budget. This is airing a couple, this is airing a little while after that, probably about a month and a half later. Let's imagine the budget said open banking in Canada is a priority. We're gonna get it done and the all the protocols and everything's gonna be outlined by December 31st. What difference does that make to you in your business versus the current status quo of we'll see what happens? From our perspective, what it yeah. does for us, it doesn't do much for us. It's it's more around at it adds even more value to the consumer or end consumer, because then they have, I'd say, one less piece of friction to inform their choice of where they want to bank, because now the data is owned by them, and they can port that data from one bank to another bank to another bank, wherever they choose. So what it enables is, is in, and I guess, from an open banking perspective, and I'm, I'm referring to more the consumer-directed you know, finance where you know, people own their mm -hmm. own data, they can port it around. That way, we're really putting the power back into the consumer's hands versus being sort of shackled to one institution because, hey, I already have all my bill payments there. I already have my, my payroll in there. I'd rather not move all those things over because it's all sort of saved within there. Or I yeah. have all my transactions there as well. Yeah, so funny, funny story with that. I was once at a round table and someone, an executive at a bank said, well, it's our data, which I basically looked over at him and said, can you do me a favor? Come on my podcast and say that so I can record and publish it. 
it's not your data. If I create something with my life and my expenditure, yeah, and you, you facilitate it, you should have access, absolutely. But to tell me it's not mine, <laughs> after that first statement, I, I use some more colorful language. So that said, now that we've, uh, I mean, now we've gone down this rabbit hole, let's talk about uh, the three questions I ask everybody to wrap these things up. So first question, if you had one wish for something you could change within your company or within the industry as a whole, what would it be? I would say, I mean, on the topic of open banking, I think the, the data should go, consumers should own their own data and have the choice to be able to go over wherever they want to on the banking side. Well, I think it goes well beyond the banking side, right? Like the end of the day, it's, it's <laughs> about- the end of the day, yeah, in it. general, yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, enabling it to go in any number of ways and to any number of companies and value propositions and apps that have yet to be invented because they don't have access to that. It is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lucrative opportunity that we're just preventing ourselves from taking advantage of. The second question is, what's been the biggest challenge in getting your company to where it is today? I'm guessing learning to deal with scale is not one of them, but continue. The biggest challenge for us, and it's not really a challenge, but more of an opportunity has been around ensuring that we're able to work. So right now we are not a bank per se. We don't have a banking license, but we work with banks, bank partners who have been really, really fantastic to work with. And I think for us, it's really around how do we ensure that we are complying and navigating sort of that, that world without actually being a bank ourselves. And that's what it provides us to do, or what it enables us to do is have that flexibility and provide the best customer experience possible by partnering with these banks. So I think the the challenge or the opportunity that we've really had over the last 18 months is deeply integrating with these bank partners to provide safe and secure deposits. So CDIC insurance on our deposits, whether it is the fraud protection and the security that we've sort of put in place across all of our, our entire company, all those pieces have been you know, quite important to us. And, and a lot of time and effort has been spent sort of with our bank partners, as well as our internally to, to make sure that happens. So it's interesting because you got me thinking there. So I mean, all that, and I don't want to belittle or, or make light of, not going to be little, but I'm not going to make light of just how complex the problem can be, right? Like it's a highly regulated industry. There's a high degree of security required. And frankly, no one's ever going to argue that there shouldn't be, right? Because we're talking about people's money, people's life savings, people's identity. The bar should be very, very high. But I also got to ask, like the challenge in trying to accomplish that with the current level of infrastructure in place, it's got to be pretty substantial, right? I mean, it's not like you're dealing with the likes of a Skype, a Skype treasury where they're like, hey, open whatever you want. Here's the APIs. How big of a lift has been as this all been? I mean, when you call it one of the bigger challenges, is it just the regulatory side or is it the actual coding to make this all work? It's a combination of both. I think there is, the good thing is that there sort of has been other models in terms of what we've done uh, in the past here in Canada. But when you think about the the challenges and the, the lift to do that, the good thing is when you compare the technology we've built our uh, infrastructure on, it is sort of meant for today, if not meant for the future. So it's using the latest and greatest when it comes to security and technology. And when you compare that with some of the more legacy systems that are out there today, they are still like 20, 30 years old too, with different standards across the board. So I guess the, the main difference is it's a, it is a significant lift on that front, but it's something that you know, we spent you know, the last 18 months, sort of 18, 24 months actually working on and making sure that it was sort of solid from that standpoint. Only 20 to 30 years old. It's a good thing you're not working in securities or insurance. With, uh, <laughs> well, 
Well, so, I, or older, so, right? I mean, obviously, banking yeah. banking systems are typically written on COBOL, which you know, if you you know any a running on joke that. on this show, yeah, <laughs> there a you running go. joke. I mean, yeah, who was it? Uh, Joyce Hopper worked on COBOL originally, or helped develop it, or something like that. So that tells you in computer geek lore just how old it is. But yeah, it's um, it is a running joke on this on this on this program. I've even contemplated getting getting uh, t-shirts printed that say FinTech Impact on the front and runs on COBOL in the back. So, um, last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and gets you up every morning to keep on fighting the good fight? What excites me the most is actually when I think about, I said two, twofold, what excites me the most is you know, the team that we have is super, super strong. So we, we have just over uh, 180 people on our team today and everyone has joined Neo to make a difference here in Canada. And that's probably the, the most exciting part where myself, I wouldn't want to be able to you know, build Neo to where it is today by myself. But when you have a combination of you know, 200 people working towards the same mission of wanting to make an impact here in Canada, to build the next large financial institution here in Canada and work really, really hard at it and, and sort of put you know, their blood, sweat and tears into it as well. That's what really excites me because we're all sort of drumming to the same beat and going towards something that hasn't really been done ever before here in Canada. I think people have made strides towards it but uh, it's this ambitious goal where people think we're crazy to be going after you know, the, the space. But that's sort of the, the fun part of building a startup uh, from scratch. And obviously having a, a great team around you is, is a big, big part of it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your effort. I wish you nothing but continued success because if there's one thing consumers need in this country, it's, it's definitely more better consumer-centric and friendly and beneficial choices than what we currently have been left with with uh, five institutions. Notice how none of them have ever come on my podcast, nor will they be invited to. So with that, thank you very much, Andrew. Appreciate it. Right on. Thanks so much, Jason. So that was my interview with uh, Andrew of Neo Financial. I hope you found that informative. And uh, if you're looking for a better experience than what you're currently dealing with, please take a time to download the app and check them out. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever's at your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.